services, and organizations that benefit you as a citizen of Forsyth County. Welcome to Empowering You, your host, Brian Anthony. Top of the afternoon to you on this Sunday. It is time for Empowering You. I'm your host, Brian Anthony. Welcome aboard. Empowering You is our one-hour public affairs program devoted to highlighting local nonprofits in our city, county, and the region, and many of the services that they provide the citizens of Forsyth County. We'll also introduce many of our local corporations that uh, have community initiatives designed to benefit you and to continue to make our region a great place to live. Not only will we feature nonprofits, corporate community initiatives, we'll also hear from our local entities like the Health Department, the Winston-Salem Forsyth County Schools, and one more added monthly feature focusing on staying true to the name of this show, empowering you by focusing on women's empowerment, empowerment in general with Women's Forsyth Magazine editor and publisher, Brooke Eagle. All packed into an hour show. I hope that you really make it a point and find enough information coming out of these shows to join us every Sunday following money-making conversations at noon. Also, if you miss it, the podcast will be available on our website, as is all of our public affairs programming, just by logging on to WSNCRadio.org and clicking Media on our navigation bar. You can also, as a reminder, you can also access our website on our free mobile app. You go everywhere with your phone. You don't leave home without it. You can take that with you. Download the free mobile app in your device's Apple Store or Play Store. Today, our monthly update partner, Winston-Salem Forsyth County Schools, is in the middle of planning processing for the fall. Um, So they are taking this month off and will return in July. So we're going to Today, 90 days into the relaunch of Empowering You, glad to say and glad to be able to bring it back. We are focusing on five different guests today that we've already had on the show. And for those of you that have missed some fantastic information uh, with all of our guests, we just hand selected these particular ones for no apparent reason. We just picked them. So hopefully you enjoy these. And for all of you community organizations, nonprofit, Divine Nine, whoever you are, you can be on this program as well. The opportunity for you to utilize it as your marketing tool. Don't assume that the citizens of Forsyth County absolutely know what type of services you provide and what they are of benefit to them. Come on the show. Let's talk about it. Utilize Empowering You as your organization's marketing tool. How do you do that? You can contact me at Brian Anthony, B-R-I-A-N, yes, Anthony, at WSNCRadio.org. You can contact us at 90.5 FM at WSNCRadio.org, or you can call me directly on my office phone. The number is 336-750-2325. First up, we're going to take you back to a conversation we had with the Chief Officer of Learning Support, Dr. Lionel Cato, recently about the 
code of character, conduct, and support that the board approved this past week, I understand. Let's catch up on that conversation about what the code of character, conduct, and support is and why it's being implemented into our school district. Now, code of conduct. If, I, if I'm thinking just in general terms, that has to do with some type of um, reaction or uh, response to some type of activity that, that, that requires action on the backside. Typically, yes. Yeah. It, uh, uh, most codes of conduct are very um, reactionary and, you know, they're, they're answering, you know, somebody's done something wrong. Okay. And so what are we going to do to punish? I mean, it's usually really focused on punishment. Okay. Whereas this is a code of character, conduct, and support. We were very intentional in making sure that we called it first a code of character okay. and added support to it because this is about more than just behavior. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, we want this to be about um, when the behavior happens, how do we support students, how do we build character to prevent the behavior to begin with. And mm-hmm. so it's a, it's a multifaceted um, document um, and not just for students. It'll give teachers tools as well to help prevent some things from occurring in their classrooms and help build better citizens and, and better students. Okay. Now, I'm, we were talking off mic. I, I'm not going to pretend that we live in a pristine society or community at all. Uh, we see the news reports. We see what's going on and happening in the streets uh, with, with some of our youth, uh, what's happening with uh, schools across the country. Um, I can take you into another region of the country and show you how in that region of the country, that's not where you want to be when it comes to conduct because it's a little bit more severe than it is as in terms of what I see and what I've experienced in my lifetime in, in this part of the country. Now, with that said, this is the beginnings of yes. what we're seeing in the news is the beginnings of ending up in that situation, and that's not where Winston-Salem wants to be or anybody in in society really wants to be. So why is it important for this district to have, first of all, this code of character, um, conduct, and support? Well, you you said a mouthful there. Um, we definitely don't want our students, uh, our young people, to um, continue in, in ways that are not going to be productive for the future health of our community or their, their families or their, their futures. Mm-hmm. Um, Prior to the pandemic, we had challenges with discipline and we had challenges with um, with some behaviors that were occurring in our schools, which, you know, schools are a microcosm of society. Yes. And we're not unique to any uh, uh, compared to other districts. I mean, we all have the same sorts of issues. But in particular, it, we had to realize that if we want our students to succeed academically and socially, um, and we want to address some of the emotional things that are occurring mm-hmm. and some of the trauma that they bring into the school from the community and mm-hmm. from some of their home living situations. We had to think about doing things differently um, and, and, and readjusting because, you know, like I said before, a typical code, student misbehaves, they either get usually out of school mm-hmm. suspension mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. in school suspension, but we really looked at the data and looked at the, the tens and thousands of hours of instructional time that are lost um, from kids sitting in an ISS room uh, with no real structure or uh, being out of school, uh, out of school suspended, 
And if they're out of school, they're also in the community possibly doing things that are not productive and right, causing right, problems, right. you know, from the community during right. the daytime when they should be in school. Mm -hmm. And so taking all that into account, looking at the fact that a lot of our discipline data showed that there was a, a huge uh, disproportionality of application. Okay. Um, okay. You know, students of color bared the brunt of a lot of our exclusionary practices. Okay. Um, and again, that's not unique to Winston-Salem Forsyth. I mean, it's a it's a nationwide issue. But uh, really looking at that piece of data, and and realizing that students with disabilities as well um, bear the brunt of a lot of exclusionary practices that are not serving them very well. And so, we're, if we're ever going to close achievement gaps and uh, really and truly help our students become better people mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for tomorrow mm -hmm. and to graduate with the skills, social and academic skills to be successful, then we just had to reconfigure how we do business and, and come up with some new strategies. Okay. Now, this, this wasn't a reactionary process. How long did this process in terms of coming up with the idea of where you move forward in the future with the school district and coming to fruition where it is now? How, how long does that process take? So th this is a multi-year process. Um, it's definitely not something that happens overnight. Okay. Um, we didn't get in the situation overnight, and so we're not going to get out of it overnight. And so it's going to require some um, training uh, and the pulling together of all of our um, community stakeholders. Mm -hmm. Winston-Salem Forsyth is, is a very, very blessed school district in that we have so many resources here that other places don't have. Um, Community-wise, um, we, we've got financial resources, we've got mental health resources, we've got um, behavioral health resources. Um, we have uh, several universities here. We, we are, you know, sort of a mecca of academia, mm -hmm. so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, Winston-Salem State University, where we sit, yes, you know, yes. is, is a prime example of that. Um, there's lots of history here of, of social activism and, and, and things of that nature, so the spirit to do the right thing and to get better is, is here in this district more so than it is in some other places. Yes. And so the, the process over the course of this year, where we are now, um, we just unveiled the draft of the new code to the school board, which is what you referenced um, at the start of the interview. Mm -hmm. And that involved over 300 different stakeholders um, across the community, parents, uh, community groups, mm -hmm teachers, mm -hmm. counselors, administrators. Uh, you know, our, we, we were being facilitated by um, an organization called Engaging Schools, okay. which does this work across the country. But uh, students, students were also a very big part, and that's actually one of my favorite parts of this process was working with the students mm -hmm. and hearing what they had to say about what goes on in schools and how we could help them um, avoid some of the challenges and how we could help some of their friends um, avoid some challenges if they're having difficulty. Um, I always say, kids, we don't listen to them enough, and if you ask them and you talk to them, they'll help you solve just about any problem. They're smarter than we is. were at that age. Yeah, they, they, they know yeah, a lot. They're smart, yes. They know a lot, and so it, it is definitely a multi-year process, okay. um, and we're just in the, we're in the beginning stages of, um, you know, of development of the code and we'll have some training ahead of us for all of these different groups of people to understand their role in mm -hmm. implementing the code. Okay.
that 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 I wanted to I wanted people to understand that it's not a knee jerk reaction to what's going on. Um, obviously in the school district and in the streets as well, that this process was well thought out, took a long time, took a lot of stakeholders to bring to the table to get, including the students themselves, to get their opinion of what they feel about different, I guess, activities that take place and the results of them and what ends up happening on the conduct, I mean, on the conduct side. Now, you mentioned earlier the disproportionate, uh, the disproportionate, amount of impact that it has on students of color, students with disability. Uh, The code, uh, as I understand it and as you have told us, has a particular focus on uh, the use or overuse of exclusionary punishment. Why that focus? Well, we know that if students, um, and well, first defining exclusionary punishment, uh, we include in-school suspension because mm-hmm. it removes them from the classroom mm-hmm. as an exclusionary punishment. And, of course, out-of-school suspension, um, expulsions are rare, but they do happen in some instances. But how do we avoid those? Because if they're not in school, then we can't support them mm-hmm. um, you know, they're not under the teacher's instruction. We can't support them uh, to correct their behavior right? Um, because they're not with us. Right. And so uh, that also leads to lower academic mm-hmm. scores, um, lower academic performance, mm-hmm. um, higher dropout rates. Yes. Once you miss so many days of school, why bother coming? So you're, you're absent, you're skipping school. And so it just begins a spiral, mm-hmm. and it impacts so many things down the line. Okay. And so that's why we, we zeroed in on the exclusionary practices in particular. Okay. Does, does cultural differences um, help add to this, the understanding of what a student might be going through in, in a household that doesn't resemble yours as a teacher? Uh, absolutely. Okay. That, that has always been, um, that's always been an issue mm-hmm. when, you know, you have um, teachers, you know, by and large, you know, it's not a white female issue, but, you know, the majority of teachers are white and female mm-hmm. nationwide. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just the, the, the how fact. it is, yes. And, you know, students can be very uh, diverse. And so you have to look at things like bias, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And it's not even necessarily a racial thing. I mean, because there are many African-American teachers and teachers of color, uh, Latino teachers that also may struggle with student discipline and connecting with students. Uh, th- their generation is just very different from the way that we may have been raised, and mm-hmm. so there's that disconnect at times. Mm-hmm. And so there's definitely cultural um, factors that come into play when you think about relationships and how that plays into misbehavior and misinterpretation of behaviors. Um, we're increasingly becoming more diverse with our Latino population. Um, I forget the, I think it's like over 100 different languages are spoken in our district. Right. And so, you know, we have refugee children. We have children from all over the world in our district. And so a lot of those cultural factors may contribute to some of the discipline issues that you see. Okay, I got you. Next up, one of our previous conversations also focused on the benefits to you as a citizen of Forsyth County. Everybody knows the skyrocketing price of prescription drugs. Um, for many people who are in need of them, especially if you're uninsured. Even if you're insured and you don't have prescription coverage and you make in the neighborhood of $38,000 or under, 
you may qualify for a program, a free pharmaceutical program in the state. We talked to Brenda Voss, the CEO and executive director of North Carolina Medicist. So today, let me tell you how I came about this guest. I'm, I'm reading emails in my office, and we get tons of emails about different uh, things going on with different organizations. And I saw this headline that said, North Carolina Free Pharmacy Program. And I thought, free pharmacy program? Let me, let me call them and find out what this is about. And let me see if I can get them on the show because I know personally that the cost of medication is constantly on the rise. We, all, we always hear about it in the news. We always hear our senior citizens talk about it. So let me get, first of all, let me introduce Brenda Voss. I'm putting a, an enunciation or a French enunciation on your name, by the way. Brenda Voss, she's the CEO and the Chief Development Officer for MedAssist. And I put the names together and I go MedAssist. Good morning. How are you? I am great. How are Good. you, Brian? I'm cracking you up on it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Love the French Yeah, accent. the French Voss. Voss from uh, South Carolina. Voss. Okay. All right. Um, as I was mentioning, um, I had received a news release about this free pharmacy program, and we're going to get to that. But first, let's, let's get into, because you might... You might be an anomaly. Uh, what do they call it? Anonym? I can't even say it. anomaly. anomaly. Mm-hmm. Um, being one of the only in the state, which makes you exclusive, which makes you the only one. Let's talk about MedAssist and what the mission of MedAssist is. Well, thank you so much for having mm-hmm. me. I am and very excited to be talking about NC MedAssist. Uh, So if you are one um, that is uninsured with no prescription Mm -hmm. insurance Mm -hmm. and you fall within an eligibility when it comes to income, we can probably help you with your medication. We are an actual pharmacy. Mm. Um, And, yes, we have headquartered in Charlotte, North Carolina, but we serve the entire state of North Carolina. Mm -hmm. There is no zip code that is more important than other than another to us as a statewide entity. And you mentioned our uniqueness mm-hmm. of being the only one. Mm-hmm. We're the only statewide free pharmacy. Okay. So we know that there are other free pharmacies across the state, but mm-hmm. they usually serve a certain region or a certain city or a certain county. Okay. And that's all that's okay. what they serve because we work with a lot of them. Okay. Um, so for us, it's important that not only people that know about us mm-hmm. um, are funders, but we want people that, to know about us that need us. Okay. And that's why I'm so happy that we're talking today so we can get the word out. Yeah, I mean, anybody that is breathing air at some point in time, you are in need of uh, medicine. If you continue to live, at some point in time, you're going to be in need of some type of medicine to assist something going on in your body. I, I got to imagine if you don't have insurance that the cost of medication has to be sky high. Absolutely. It has to be sky high. So those people who don't have the insurance typically have to decide between a meal and medication, which is which is 
clearly not fair in the major scheme of life, mm -hmm. but it is what it is. And so how do you go about, is, is this a, the type of program that takes all the stress out of that situation for them? That's what we're trying to do. Okay. Um, you're talking about people that are choosing to have their insulin mm -hmm. or feed their family. And, you know, some of these vials are $300 um, a vial. Mm -hmm. And I don't know a person personally that can afford that um, in, in the long run. Right. Um, eventually, you, you're choosing. Right. Eventually, you have to say, you know, we have people that downsize their houses be, because they need to be able to afford their medic medicine. So that's our purpose. Mm -hmm. That's why we are here. That's mm -hmm. why we exist. We have a ton, thousands of volunteers across the state. Um, a staff and a board that are committed mm -hmm. to making sure that those decisions are becoming less and less. Mm -hmm. As we get the word out, we can serve even more people. Um, that, that is our hope, that anybody who's eligible knows where to go, that we are their pharmacy home. Now, now people that are uninsured typically fall below the poverty line. Now, that term, poverty, usually gives a person a perception of where a person is in their lifestyle mm -hmm. or in their lives, mm -hmm. which is not necessarily accurate. Um, let's talk about the poverty level now and, and what you guys consider uh, as a threshold, mm -hmm. as an income, to be able to assist most families. Yeah, so I am so glad you asked this question because about a year ago, um, during um, the throes of COVID-19, mm -hmm. We wanted to be able to serve more people. So at one point, we were serving 200% at or below the poverty level. Okay. But now we're serving, uh, I'm sorry, at or below, above the poverty level. Mm -hmm. But now we're serving 300%. Okay. So that means you could be a family of four making mm -hmm. just over around $80,000 a year mm -hmm. and be eligible for our services as long as you're uninsured mm -hmm. and no, and you don't have prescription medicine. Right, right. Um, insurance, mm -hmm. and if you're a family of one, you can make um, up to almost forty thousand a year. Okay, and we can help you. Okay. So you're right when you see the word poverty or low income. Sometimes it doesn't resonate that you could you be eligible for, for our program. Right. You you may be under resourced. Mm -hmm. You may be able to pay the bulk of your bills, mm -hmm. but medication your medication is so expensive. You're having trouble sort of paying that. Okay. So that's more under-resourced than, than low-income. Uh, that's tough. Um, and, and I'm hearing the, the medium income level being at 38000 for one, one household. There are plenty of people here in Forsyth County that are single that make far be less $38,000. The, I, guess, I guess the pay scale hasn't caught up with the economy yet. Yeah. And that's crazy. That's crazy. It'd be interesting to see the new numbers with inflation and, mm -hmm. and what's going on in the country. That's insane. So, number one, you may fall below the poverty line based on this criteria, not necessarily your perception of what poverty is. So, if, if, if people are out there going through health issues, going to the doctor, having to choose between uh, medicine and whether to eat or medicine and whether to pay your rent or mortgage. That's a tough decision to make. Mm -hmm. So so how how did this mission come about for you guys at, mm -hmm. at Medicist? And being an exclusive 
taking on the state, that's a big challenge. That's a big, big challenge. It is a big challenge. Um, and when you talk about why we exist, we like to focus on the why. Mm. Why Why are we needed? Why do we do what we mm. do? Why do we work as hard as we work? Why do our volunteers give up time? Um, why do people donate to us? Um, we turned 25 this year. 25 and years old? 25 years old. And this will be the first time a lot of people have even known that we existed. Heard of MedAssist. Exactly. 25 years in existence. If you've never heard of MedAssist, before. That's why she's on the air today. Yes. It's important. And at the beginning, um, it really were, it was a mission to serve seniors. At the time, there was no Medicare Part D. And so that way, the seniors did not have to go without their medicine. So they started Medicis of Mecklenburg. Okay. Um, In 2009, we went statewide. Mm -hmm. Um, The now governor at the time was the attorney attorney general and Mm -hmm. gave us $2 million to go statewide so that we can serve all adults and children that were uninsured um, and and had low resources. Mm -hmm. Uh, To us, um, it was extremely important. For a long time, we only had the free prescription program and um, saw an opportunity to start over-the-counter medicine program as well that's Mm -hmm. free Mm -hmm. and have been traveling the state every week uh, for the last five years, traveling the state, giving Mm -hmm. out uh, free over-the-counter medicine. Okay. And so you may have heard of the mobile free pharmacy events if you're in Forsyth County or Guilford County, um, Highport, North Carolina. We have, I think we went there, I don't even know how many times, mm-hmm. four, four to six times over the last few years. Um, and then starting partnerships with Novant Health and uh, Wake Forest for Forsyth County so that we could get free over-the-counter medicine as well to people that need it. Now, that's a different eligibility. Mm -hmm. Uh, You do not, there's no income check. All you have to do is be a resident of North Carolina and be an adult, and you can get the free over-the-counter medicine. So I don't, I really want to preface that over-the-counter medicine has um, this sort of, um, that you know this belief that you really don't need it mm-hmm. you know over the counter medicine is like a, a a nice to have like an aspirin like an aspirin <laughs> but when you when you really think about mm-hmm. um, the number of people that visit the ER because they simply did not have over the counter medicine in their cabinets mm-hmm. this is the impact that we're making wow. by filling a medicine cabinet you're empowering that family right to right. take care of themselves, right? right? right. Uh, we were in Raleigh, and a young mom came up to us in tears because she was getting a bag of medicine and that she was uh, living in a women's shelter. She mm-hmm. left an abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. She worked hourly as a waitress. Mm-hmm. She had a son that was living there with her. She said she felt more empowered now because she actually could give, we give out first aid product as well she could actually put a band-aid on his boo-boo and she brought her tears because she had nothing when she left the relationship she had nothing with her and then she said now she doesn't have to stay home when he has a fever because she can treat the fever Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. she can go to work Mm because every time she didn't show for 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 work it impacted her paycheck so you think something like Tylenol is a small deal but it actually in very rural communities Mm -hmm. a lot of people use the ambulance to pick up their kids because they cannot treat the fever. They can't get the fever down. They don't have transportation, so they will call 
EMT or ambulance to take their child to the emergency room because as parents you do whatever you possibly can yeah. to make sure that you can take care of your child and so us being able to fill medicine cabinets with the help of our funders is um, is a bigger deal deal than we know. I think that's going to help a lot of people. Next up, everybody knows and has probably heard of Second Harvest Food Bank. There are a lot of different services and programs that they offer. But during the pandemic, they were in the middle of the spotlight just based on need. We talked to their executive director, Eric Aft, about that need, about how they made it through the pandemic, and how much of an impact Second Harvest Food Bank made on our community during uh, the pandemic. Now, customarily, over the last couple of months since we've um, launched and relaunched Empowering You Again, we focused on the return from the pandemic. So typically, I know I saw in the news a lot of information about different, and, and because of job shortage, companies shutting down during the pandemic, all the things that we weren't expecting, the need for food was on the rise. That's Let's talk about the pandemic and how you guys were able to operate during the pandemic, uh, what you saw in terms of your operations and the need and the value of it that adds to what you do. Well, appreciate that that question because, um, you know, early on it was a scary situation because there's so many unknowns. And then that difficult, challenging, scary situation has been with us for a long time. But back in March of 2020, our team gathered over a week and said, this is our time to step up. We know the need is going to be there. Um, what are we going to do? Right. Because the environment of the way we operated, as well as, as you mentioned, the need was radically different than anything we had ever seen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so our team got a plan uh, in place very quickly and turned around and said, we are ready to go. And what we saw was the hospitality industry hit first. Okay. saw, as you said, job layoffs across restaurants and hotels. And we knew that we had to step up. So we actually launched a, a feeding program downtown that was targeted specifically for that group. And okay. you know, we were seeing 200 to 300 folks a day wow. um, immediately. Wow. What is the typical What is the typical flow that you normally? Well, see? that that's that wouldn't be even a, a program we do. You know, mm-hmm. typically Second Harvest we do some direct distribution, some mm-hmm. community distributions, but we work through a network of five hundred programs uh, across the region. Okay, so that type of work was again part of our pivot to doing work differently, and uh, it was all about the need. But then as we saw the next few months develop through our partner agency network that mm-hmm. is really on the front lines. Again, 500 programs across the 18 counties we serve is what happened was over 40 percent of the individuals that were seeking assistance had never you know, gone to a food pantry or food mm-hmm. assistance mm-hmm. program before. And that's, um, that's and got to be. Yeah, it's got to be tough. Um, um, we were talking off mic. How does how? What is your advice for a person? Let's say today, if something happens, I lose my job, um, I go a couple of weeks through my savings account, and then I get to a point where I'm in need of just trying to figure out how I'm going to put food on the table for my family. Now, I'll be the first to admit I'm a prideful individual. It's very difficult for me to ask for help 
what is what is your what would what would be your advice in that situation? Well, I've been doing this for thirty two years, mm-hmm. so um, one is we're all proud, and and nobody wants to seek assistance. Mm-hmm. You know, it's we all want to be able to provide for ourselves and our families. But the fact is we go through this life relying on other people. Um, And it's part of being in community as well. And I think Mm -hmm. that's really critical that, hey, at times – I might be able to help my neighbor out. Sometimes I need some assistance from my neighbor. It can be simple things or more complex things. But the fact is is that all of us need each other. So yes, I think that's yeah, the first yeah, step yeah, is to say yeah, it is totally okay to say, you know, right now it's a little tough, so I need some help. Mm-hmm. What I would encourage folks to do is not go through that savings right away. Is mm-hmm. go ahead and say, you know what, let me see what's out there. Let me see where – I can get assistance mm-hmm. because this is why we exist okay. and this yeah. is why a network of organizations exists to respond to the needs, whether it's helping somebody with um, medications or food or help with the utility bill, rent or helping to find that next job. Right, right. So, you know, know that you're not alone. Right. Know that it is completely OK to say, hey, this is a transitional time for me. Mm-hmm. I need a little help from folks. Um, so that the, the next step is just finding what works best for you. Okay. And, you know, with us, uh, finding food assistance, you know, if you have access to, you know, a mobile phone um, or a computer, going to our website, we have what's called the Food Finder, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. just you can put in your address and it will show – um, where there are places to get assistance that are close by. All the red dots that I saw on the map when I went to the website. There you go. That's exactly right. And, you know, yeah. it's about trying to make it easy because, you know, when you're facing difficulty, you need easy. Yes. You mentioned food assistance. Um, that That's just one of the many things. Let's let's get into the mission of, of, of Second Harvest. Now, we, I don't like this term, food pantry. Uh, but is what has been utilized throughout time for organizations such as Second Harvest. But outside of being a food pantry, what is the real mission of, of Second Harvest Food Bank? Right. Really, we work with community partners to address the immediate challenge of hunger and as well as uh, the, the long-term effects of it. Um, you know, the, the bottom line is that they, we work to strengthen the community through, mm-hmm. again, addressing the immediate need as well as the root causes. Mm -hmm. And from a food assistance standpoint, really think of us as the wholesaler. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, We gather literally millions of pounds of food. If we look in the past year, that was about 48 million pounds of food that we distributed Mm -hmm. along with our partners, um, you know, across this region. Mm -hmm. And we source... Uh, about a little more than 80% of that food. So you're talking millions of pounds that then go to food assistance programs. We call them grocery assistance or food pantries. Um, You know, and what, you know, the reason those are so important is, again, it's just about stretching a dollar. Mm -hmm. You know, here in Forsyth County alone, uh, I I just pulled some statistics, 32.4% of households make under $35,000 a year. So that's interesting. One third of, of households yeah. have incomes under thirty-five thousand dollars. Wow! So that just means that you, those folks, are working every day to mm-hmm. just make ends meet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there is going to be times when you get an unexpected health situation. You get a big gas bill after the winter. Right. Um, somebody loses a job. Right. 
you any just, number of things. Yeah. And they're existing every day. Exactly. So yeah. going to uh, one of our pantry partners uh, or other assistance kind of programs is is critical. And, and this is why we're here. Again, mm-hmm. it's there there's, should be no stigma. There should be no shame. It's just like, listen, um, and interestingly enough, uh, again, um, two-thirds of the people that visit our, our, our pantry network mm-hmm. go three times or less during a year. Okay. Three times or fewer, which means people aren't using this as their grocery store. Right. They right. just are going when they need, need that little need, bit of push. Um, um, and, and importantly, one thing we try to do and encourage of our, our – uh, the the grocery assistants or food pantries we support is to create a shopping environment, not, you know, here's a box of food or a bag of food, mm-hmm. but go in, look around, figure out what your family would, would like. Mm-hmm. You know, it mm-hmm. provides more dignity. Mm-hmm. Plus also, um, you know, we shouldn't be choosing for other people what, what, they, what, what they're going to eat. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, we, we want that um, you know, that decision-making to rest with the family and, mm-hmm. and you know, whether it's a mother or a, a father or, a, you know, older child or yeah. something like yeah. that. The Second Harvest uh, Food Bank, for many of us, uh, we always hear about the food drives. Let's talk about your partnerships. Let's talk about your corporate partnerships. Let's talk about these food drives and how you're able to come about the food that you utilize to assist the community. Right. It, and, and it is very um, – a wide range of sources that mm-hmm. we use and we're very thankful. Uh, the community stepping up through food drives is, is vital. You know, on our website, folks can see kind of the key items that we need, which are a lot of the staples that folks may have in their pantries right yes. now or can pick up. Yes. Um, but also we rely heavily on our grocery partners in the community. And mm-hmm. if you name one, we work with them. And <laughs> you know, I hesitate to, to Start yeah, don't do that. <laughs> it, it is a, it's a lot it's, of folks. Yeah, it's a dangerous thing to get into. Yeah, it, go ahead. It is, but um, you know, and and it's widespread. So mm-hmm, we've got mm-hmm. some distribution centers in our region that we serve because we go from Boone to Burlington down to Statesville up to the Virginia line. Right. And there's a couple big distribution centers over in the Mebbin area. We're fortunate to partner with, um, get a huge amount of fresh produce mm-hmm. um, and things like that. So we source a lot of food from our grocery partners. Yeah. We also uh, get a lot of government food. Okay. Um, and what's great about that is the government is buying it from farmers, and then they're. I was going to ask where the farmers involved in that as well. They are okay. now. It's. A lot of it comes from everywhere in the country. I know what's in our warehouse right now. There's a lot of things from California and Washington mm-hmm. um, and in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Things from North Carolina get sourced periodically through that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then that leads to kind of our, our other big grouping of sources of food, which are local farmers. Yes, yes. And, um, I'd love to, you know, maybe if we have a chance to talk about our Farm Fresh Nourish initiative, which is very focused on on farmers and, and health issues and that type of thing. Okay. Is that the mission? Are you, you finished? I, I could know. I'd love let's to spend a minute with it. Sure, no, let's no, do it. Because we'll both forget it in a minute. Let's uh, get into you, it now right, while you're, you're bringing right. it up. Well, it's an initiative we started a couple of years ago recognizing that um, – we have a lot of data that we gather, and we understand that a lot of the households that we do serve, you know, there's a member in that household who has diabetes or a heart condition. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so what somebody eats influences health. We all know that. Right, right. Um, so especially when you have a chronic condition, you need to watch what you eat. But Absolutely. If you don't have a lot of money, 
you're buying a lot of processed food, less healthy food. Yes. So we said, you know, what can we do about it? And we said, well, let's get creative. And our nutrition team um, has done an outstanding job in creating a very uh, innovative approach, and we call Farm Fresh Nourish. And what we've done is gone to our partners. We said, ask individuals if they if they'll take the little CDC survey to identify if they have pre-diabetes okay. um, or if they identify with diabetes uh, in their house having someone in their household with diabetes. Yes. And if so, they enroll in this program. Our nutrition team, and we've got three registered dietitians on that, will help feed uh, them information about eating healthy. Mm-hmm. We will also provide through our partner um, a box of fresh produce on a mm-hmm. weekly basis during growing season, okay. help them understand how to use that. And here's the, the third win to that because mm-hmm. we're addressing food insecurity, we're addressing health issues, and we're also helping support local farmers. And our focus is on BIPOC farmers, okay. uh, black, indigenous, people of color, farmers uh, who are, um, you know, really battling some of the larger farms um, and we're very proud to be able to purchase over $100,000 worth of of fresh produce through this program to, to again, be a triple win. We're helping local farmers, we're helping individuals address food insecurity, and we're helping to address their chronic condition as well. Okay. Always there to assist the Second Harvest Food Bank. Next on our agenda for today, as we look back on 90 days of the relaunch of Empowering You, hopefully you're getting a lot of information from local nonprofits and community corporate initiatives that you weren't aware of. And that's the purpose of the show. In the last couple of weeks, a second press conference was held by the National Black Theater Festival to announce the return of the festival for this particular upcoming August. We talked to both Renita Brewington and Chris Leak, who are on the board of the North Carolina Black Repertory Company. We talked about the National Black Theater Festival and getting you to put on your purple and black because the National Black Theater Festival is back. Let's get, let's get back into um, both Mr. Hamlin and Mrs. Hamlin. Um, we recently lost Sylvia, yes. um, and I know when organizations go through those type of losses, it's a challenge to try and regroup everybody mm-hmm. and get everybody moving mm-hmm. in a forward motion. How were you guys able to do that? Well, one of the things that um, I was excited about uh, when they lost, it was devastating to lose Sylvia because, you know, she was a major part of the organization, but I was excited to see that the board came together mm-hmm. and we rallied around that and said, like, look, the festival must go on mm-hmm. in honor of Syria and in honor of Larry and show that we must step up to the plate and uh, pick up the torch mm-hmm. and keep it moving. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's the energy that, I guess, got under our wings to get us motivated and encouraged because I think in honor of both of them, mm-hmm. we must keep it moving. Absolutely. Uh, and I'm glad to see it coming back. Um, we've been through a tough couple of years with COVID um, yes. and had to postpone it then. then yes, because originally it was supposed to have been last year. Right. And we delayed it because of COVID. Yes. yes. And so now 
um, a year later, it's like, what did we do? And I think in order for to keep the excitement, we had to come in. It's an even year, yeah, yeah, but anyway, yeah. we had to keep the excitement. We had to do the festival this year. So one of the things that 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 I guess being in a, such a small community, and and it would be from the business perspective something to consider. There's been a lot of conversation about moving, moving the oh, theater yeah. festival out of Winston. Mm-hmm. Now, from a perspective of business, Brooklyn, New York, which I've been heard to be mentioned. Um, I can see that from a business perspective, but why keep it here in Winston-Salem? Well, the impact would not be the same in, in New York. And, and, like, if you go to New York, Chicago, L.A., mm-hmm. Georgia, I mean, it's like here in Greensboro, it's like the center of focus for everybody. Mm-hmm. If you take it to one of those other areas, mm-hmm. it will not have the same because There's they have a lot competition. of competition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a lot of competition, competition so the impact would not be the same. We were just talking about that. Yeah. Um, I think if you take it to a major city, um, there's too much competition for entertainment around exactly. you. And so the theater festival is is competing for that kind of attention and to get people to come in to the theater festival would be difficult because people then have choices. We, right. we, we had a big loss last year, year before last, my time is off now, uh, Mayor Pro Tem Vivian Burke. Correct. Mm-hmm. And Mrs. Yeah. Burke, all the, Dr. Burke always said she was going to do everything in her power to keep it here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I know it was Larry's desire to always keep the festival exactly. here in Winston-Salem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she got the city involved and Back then, when Mrs. Burke spoke, mm-hmm. people listened. Oh, people listened. Oh, yeah. All the, and still spiritually, they listen. Still <laughs> they listen. Do. Those they those do. those lessons continue to move on. Correct. So I'm glad to hear that um, because I think you know, being in a small city, um, you're concentrated on your focus with the theater festival. Exactly. Right. Um, the impact that we'll get to in a minute. I like to to think that a lot of people, <laughs> funny enough, consumers of theater on a national level in society, like to gauge theater by Tyler Perry's plays. Entertaining, yes. Uh, Sometimes pretty close to what people's families are. But there's so much more to the theater festival and what they bring in terms of original screenplays. Exactly. The the thing that uh, the plays that we bring, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm not taking anything away from. Oh, no, no, not, Perry, no, not at all. Not but at all. but at the same time, we tell stories. Mm-hmm. We are telling our stories at this festival from our from a theatrical production. Mm-hmm. We're educating people. When I come to the theater uh, festival, every time I come, I learn something new that I didn't know before. Right. So they are telling our stories from our perspective. Right. From Tyler Perry's perspective, he is hitting on, from what I gather from it, he's hitting on today's issues. Yes, yeah, of course. Of so course. it's two different perspectives. Yes, and, I, and, and right, because I wasn't trying to compare saying that, but I know how, well, all you got to do is look at Facebook. Right. You can see how the mentality of people and how they think about different things, and right. that's where that came from. Um, so we'll get into those plays in a minute. Chris. In order to pull off, and we just talked about Larry coming into your bank in 1989 to uh, seek some financial assistance to pull this off. So it's got to be a major undertaking to do this. You're on the fundraising committee. Yes. What goes into the process of pulling this type of event off? So the fundraising committee starts meeting two years in advance. So immediately after 
the festival, we start working on the next festival. Okay. Uh, the fundraising committee is chaired, co-chaired by Mayor Ellen Jones mm-hmm. and also Nigel Austin. And there are about 10 to 11 of us on the fundraising committee. Okay. Very aggressive goal. Uh, our top sponsors are the city of Winston-Salem, Forsyth County, and also visit Winston-Salem. Okay. And then we have corporate sponsors that also step up. But those three are critical mm-hmm. to the success and viability of the festival. Okay. How long have you been on the fundraising committee? Countless wow. years? We've been on there together. Yes, so we have. So a long time. <laughs> group <laughs> So we're looking at it. I like how you looked at it and go, it's, well, it's, let me group it's, it's you in on this. 10 years. It's north ten of 10 years. years. Ten years. Yeah. yeah. How difficult, um, coming from the banking uh, industry, is it to convince a banker um, or a potential donor um, to contribute to an event that you're getting started in uh, that that you want to see end up being of this magnitude, but to get it started, how difficult is that? From a corporate perspective, it's extremely difficult mm-hmm. because we're used to tangible assets. So mm-hmm. there are no tangible assets that we can take right now. It's a vision. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. a dream. It's not a balance sheet or a pro forma statement. Mm-hmm. So it's very difficult. But I think in the community, it was different. I think Larry started with the living room. Living room theater, yes. Living room theater where you went into affluent homes in mm-hmm. the African-American community to get initial sponsors. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's how it really took off. It is, did. Uh, starting with people that maybe did not understand theater, mm-hmm. but they knew Larry. Mm-hmm. And so it was more friend raising, in my opinion, than fundraising okay. initially. Okay. The impact that it has on this community, people talk about the economic impact. You're a banker. Tell me, what kind of impact does it have on us? Well, you have 60,000 people coming in and out of our city. We raise millions of dollars. Hotels are filled. Restaurants are full. Uh, we've had people say that that week mm-hmm. got them in the black. Okay. It's, it's, it's real. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. And, and you know what else? You'd be surprised the number of people that come to the festival and they feel the energy and excitement, and they decide that they want to move to Winston-Salem. Right. Really? Yeah, so you'd be surprised. Mm-hmm. Well, I wouldn't, not necessarily, because once I got here coming from a big city, I, I felt it. And, right. and it was yeah. like I decided between Greensboro and Winston-Salem, and Winston-Salem was so much like the city that I came from mm-hmm. uh, in terms of its culture. Right. It was a natural fit for me. The festival brings about an energy that, is not felt any other time in our city. That is true. Where else can you walk down the street and you'll see a star walking with no bodyguards, right, right. no protection. Right. <laughs> you can go up and snap Ordinary a picture. People. Yeah. And they, they're willing and, and, to take pictures. And they're pictures. gracious. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. That's, that's good. Um, so as we get ready for our August the 1st date, I saw you on stage Monday. There's a lot that goes into it outside of the economic spectrum as well. You're over the volunteers. You're co- the coordinator. Well, or? I was assisting for the volunteers, okay. but I am a, a assistant coordinator for the volunteers. Okay. I thought you were applying for a one-man show this year with that performance. <laughs> yeah. She did. Did well, she not know, have a performance? Oh my God! You know what? And and that was the thing. I I had felt a moment. I said, you know what? I, we always have a pep rally, mm-hmm. and they uh, Sylvia always appoint me to do that song at the pep rally. I said, you know what? I got to do it now because we got to get that excitement back the festival is back i wanted everybody to feel that and know that and so that's why i did that song 
put on your purple and black. The festival is back. And I mean, she just jumped up there, and I didn't know where she was going with it, but it fit. It, 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 even though we got off beat with the clap one time. Now, see, I wasn't going to quite go there. Yeah, no, we got off beat. <laughs> Look, and I know this about her because she just told me off mic. She's, she, she sang in the church. I did. As his daughter. Yeah. I'm surprised you got off beat like oh, that. Oh, she got off beat bad. Did I? Yes, it was did. bad. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. No, it was bad, Brian. Let's tell the truth. I hit the mic. I hit the mic. I had to step back. I said, okay, I'm too much into it. I had to step back. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. You know, but it was interesting, Brian. And, um, We've had two press conferences. Mm-hmm. The first press conference, in my opinion, there was a heaviness in the room. It because was. that was right was after there. It, 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 was So yeah, it, was a, it was a heaviness. It was like there was, we were missing mm-hmm. Sylvia. And, we were. But the second press conference, it was almost like Sylvia was there. And she it, told us to get it yeah, together. Yeah, it, it was energy. <laughs> you know, you, even though we, I think um, the gentleman did the, Moment of silence for mm-hmm. Sylvia, mm-hmm. but it wasn't Grant. heavy. Yes. No, it Grant. wasn't. Grant. Grant. It wasn't yeah. heavy, yeah. and then things just came into place. And you, I was looking any minute for Sylvia or Larry to walk through the door. That's how it felt. I noticed the difference. I saw it Good. when I came I'm in on I the second one. I, I saw the energy level was a little bit higher, and I was glad for that. But you got to you got to expect that because people. I think with the first press conference, people were like, "Okay, how are we going to do this?" Yeah, and I think that Valid. the anticipation of wanting to find out. How we're going to pick up and move forward without Sylvia being present was, right. I think, what you felt that in the Yeah, you're right. Great energy in our conversation with the National Black Theater Festival. Last but not least, many of our local leaders have gone through this program. I was interested to find out why most of the decision makers in Forsyth County, I was seeing this particular organization on their resumes. And we're talking about our conversation with the executive director of Leadership Winston-Salem. Catherine Perry was very, very interesting. What is the purpose and the mission um, outside of the, the, origi- the original concept of Leadership Winston-Salem? What is the mission of, the, of this organization? So the mission of the organization is to educate, connect, and energize leaders to serve and improve our community. Okay. And we do that through two different programs. Uh, The flagship program, which is a nine-month program for emerging leaders in middle management, entrepreneurs, and even community volunteers. Mm -hmm. And then the Insight program is a shorter course program for the senior level management uh, that runs every two weeks over the course of three months. Okay. And looking on your website, there are different classes every year. And I noticed on the class of 2021, there are two Winston-Salem, two people that I immediately recognize from Winston-Salem, but there are more. And then a local photographer, Owen Daniels, is on there. So I saw Chief Amir, um, Amir Henry. I've also seen Frank Ingram. What other <laughs> Winston-Salem uh, family do you recognize coming through these, these, through these classes over the years? Well, we're really lucky that um, because we have such a long-standing reputation, it is not a huge push for us to find these community leaders that want to connect and engage. Mm-hmm. And to the point you made earlier, we have people that are already community leaders right. that come to our program and go through either Insight or Flagship or people that are on the cusp mm-hmm. um, becoming community leaders. So we actually like 
to joke around and say that anybody that has interest in being the chief of police in Winston-Salem <laughs> goes through leadership first. But in truth, mm -hmm. um, le several of our previous chiefs of police are leadership Winston-Salem alums, including our current chief, Katrina Thompson, um, her entire uh, leadership team of assistant chiefs of police, mm -hmm. uh, Wilson Weaver, uh, William Penn, the recently retired Natasha James, okay. all of them are leadership Winston-Salem alums. Okay. Um, Fire Chief Trey Mayo is an alum. The Mayor Alan Joins is an alum. Wow. County Manager, City Manager, um, Executive Directors of several of our local nonprofits have mm -hmm. been through either Insight or Flagship. So it's a combination of they're on their way to that top seat mm -hmm. and being a part of leadership, be it either of the programs, allows them an opportunity to learn more about our community, to really take a peek behind the curtain and figure out why Winston is the way it is. Okay. Now, both programs are not necessarily focused on being just rah-rah Winston. We do share a fair amount of this is this is what's great about our community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But we also spend a great deal of time talking about those things about our community that are really challenge areas for us. We mm -hmm. talk about our economic mobility rate. We talk about our third grade literacy problem. Okay. Uh, we talk about the inequities between um, one side of 52 and the other. We talk about gentrification. We talk about uh, the social determinants of health. Mm -hmm. So these are all problems that we feel like it's important to apply our leaders to and share as much information as we can okay. so that we can have those great thought leaders give uh, time to collaborate with one another and figure out how can we fix these issues? Okay. What is it that I can do as the executive director or the CEO of my company in collaboration with you and your company mm -hmm. to fix and address some of these issues that are plaguing our community? Okay. You've even uh, also had our very own chancellor as, as, as an alum through the program as well. Yes, we have. He's an alum of our Insight program, an esteemed alum, I should say. <laughs> he's smiling right now if he's listening, if he, if he heard you say that. That's great. Um, I think for me, the most important element that I've figured out about Leadership Winston-Salem is that many of your learning projects, and we'll get to what that is in a minute, uh, are geared towards assisting local nonprofits. Yes, sir. Wow. So everything that you guys do, figuring out different issues that are presented to these organizations or that they're challenged by, you, your team, your class actually puts together an action plan to help them resolve? Is that, is that, am I reading this correctly? Yes. Yeah, so um, to, to drill down a little bit on the details, so each class in the flagship program, we have a class of usually about 64 people. Okay. Um, and we recruit from our local nonprofit communities over the course of the summer. We give them an opportunity to apply mm -hmm. for an action learning project. Okay. So if, if you're a local nonprofit and you have an obstacle or an opportunity and how many nonprofits do because all of us do. Yes. <laughs> I have yet to meet a nonprofit that mm -hmm. didn't have everything that they needed. Right. I mean, we're short on staff, we're short on funds, yeah, we're, short on, money first. <laughs> we're short on we're short on you know time to get mm -hmm. things done. Mm -hmm. So what we hope to do with this action learning project process okay. is receive applications from local nonprofits. Okay. Uh, we have a selection committee that goes through these applications and whittles down from say 20 some odd applications down to 10. Mm -hmm. Then we give our incoming class an opportunity to say these projects are most of interest to me. Okay. So from the 10 uh, 
uh, applications that we send to the class, we choose eight. And then we split our class up into eight teams of eight. And each team works with a specific nonprofit on that particular that so cool. obstacle or opportunity. And over the course of nine months, this little team of eight people mm-hmm. uh, becomes very close, first of all, because they are working intensely to provide deliverables to okay. this nonprofit. Okay. And they're working with a coach who is an alum of the Leadership Winston-Salem program. They're in constant contact with their community partners. So they're learning everything there is to learn about this nonprofit. Okay. And they're working on providing that deliverable by the end of the nine months. Okay. Um, let's, let's talk about the candidates. The candidates and, and what, is, what, what, do you, what do you determine as a candidate for your program? So, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. the ideal candidate is somebody who is very passionate about this community. Okay. Um, That they want to make a difference. They want to connect with other leaders in our community. Mm -hmm. They want to find out what makes Winston-Salem tick. And they really want to get involved. Now, we have a lot of different uh, companies and organizations that each year put candidates up for consideration. And there are those people that are told by their employers, this is your year to go through Leadership Winston-Salem. And in as much as we do have candidates that are being told, we want these candidates, both the ones that go to their employers and say, this is something I want to do. Mm-hmm. We want to have all of our candidates really passionate about oh, the opportunity, yeah. about the chance to get to know 63 other people in our community that want to make great things happen for Winston-Salem. Mm-hmm. The program is really unique mm-hmm. in that we take you, for example, mm-hmm. yes. Brian, mm-hmm. out of your element, mm-hmm. out of your daily routine, mm-hmm. we drop you in with 64 other leaders you probably don't know. Mm-hmm. We take you to places you likely haven't been. Mm-hmm. We have you have small group discussions, walking tours, hands-on activities. Uh, you're listening to panels. You're engaging with other community leaders over the course of uh, a full program day that's focused specifically on one topic. Mm-hmm. And then we're really disrupting your day. We're challenging you to grow outside of what your routine is. Because it's super easy as a professional, as an adult, Mm -hmm. to get up in the morning, go the same route to work every day, do the same things you do day in and day out. You leave work, you go home on the same path, you become numb Mm -hmm. to the community on either side Mm -hmm. of the left or the right of your Mm -hmm. vehicle. Mm -hmm. You're just used to what you're used to. And as Leadership Winston-Salem, we disrupt all that. It's like we we completely take you out of your comfort zone in a good way yeah, yeah, absolutely. and challenge you to grow beyond what you've become accustomed to so that you can see our community with a new set of eyes. Yeah, absolutely. For those of you just tuning in, we're talking to um, Catherine Perry, who's the executive director of Leadership Winston-Salem. That, that really interests me because... I'm not a routine person by any stretch of the imagination. You can't be in, in, in the media and be a routine person because every day you go to work, nothing is routine. You might have a set plan of things that you like to get done, but I can tell you in, in the, I almost said how many years I've been in this business, I don't want to do that. Uh, in the number of <laughs> years that I've been in this business, I can't say that every, there are two days that were exactly the same. Um, I enjoy the competitive challenge of sitting down with 63 other people and coming up with a plan because everybody in that situation, uh, you have to take the egos out first. You got to take the egos out. Everybody that's coming to the table is somebody in their community somewhere. So you have to remove the egos. You have to listen. You have to have an open mind. 
and then creatively, collectively come up with a plan and a solution for an organization that may benefit them. Absolutely. That, that sounds like fun. It's, and it's that in addition to the program days and, and what you're learning mm-hmm. about our community that makes this opportunity really unique and special. And I think, you know, I, I try and tell people that are interested in our program, they're mm-hmm. going to learn a lot from the speakers. Okay. They're going to learn a lot from the different areas of town that they get to see, um, that they get to grow into. Mm-hmm. But they're learning the most from the diversity of the people that are in the room. Okay. So we look for a very diverse set of folks that can participate in this class. And I mean from every angle diverse. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have our the average age of applicants the past few years has been in the 40s, but we take people as young as 23. Mm-hmm. We've taken people well into retirement years okay. and everything in between. They represent all professional sectors of our community. Okay. Uh, we like to make sure that we have men and we have women and we have um, African-American, Hispanic, Latinx, uh, Asian American, mm-hmm. Caucasian. So we, because everybody comes to this program with a different life experience, yes. they're seeing our community issues through different lenses, right. and it's that diversity that provides such a robust learning experience for the whole class. I, I can, I can. You and I talked off mic. I've lived in so many different places doing radio, and and in media, you have to be ready to move around uh, if you plan on climbing that corporate ladder. Um, but I will say I've been in a lot of cities. I don't think I've really seen a program like this that is dedicated to its community. Um, just hearing you explain it and, and, and going through the website just trying to figure out what Leadership Winston-Salem was. I, I haven't seen, and I think it would be a benefit for every community to have a program like this. When you've got all of your nonprofits a lot of your corporate leaders sitting at the table helping smaller nonprofits or bigger nonprofits to resolve issues that help the community. That's 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 intriguing, and it is uh, stellar when it comes to the advancement of that community. I think. I agree. Uh, so we have when you look at like your daily life. Absolutely. You're, you're here on the campus of Winston Salem State. Mm-hmm. Lucky you. Mm-hmm. Great place to be. <laughs> I love it. But your life is, and I would say maybe not you because you're in media, but mm-hmm. several of the people who work here on campus, right. their Absolutely. whole life is on campus. Absolutely. Uh, if you work at Novant, your whole life is, that is Novant? at Novant. Right. If you're in the school system, right. your whole life is at your school. Right. And we're taking all these people like independent cards in a deck mm-hmm. and shuffling them together so mm-hmm. that you have to spend one full day with somebody from Winston-Salem State and somebody from the school system and somebody from Atrium Health and mm-hmm. somebody who's an entrepreneur and somebody who's in the faith community. Mm-hmm. And you're having an opportunity to really mix it up with them and talk to them about the challenges our community is facing or the opportunities that our community has. Mm-hmm. And you're collaborating with them on these nonprofit uh, action learning projects mm-hmm. where everybody has a strength. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you, like you said, you have to check your ego at the door. Yes, you do. Because everybody has everybody is a leader in their own right, mm-hmm. and, and they, that's why they're here in this program. Mm-hmm. And so it's how do we maximize our skills, talents, and resources to benefit this organization that we have passion for. Yes. And so we've got eight different nonprofits that we get to work with every year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're working in your team of, of eight people, mm-hmm. but you're also working with those 63 other folks that are leaders in the community that mm-hmm. you might not otherwise have an opportunity to even meet. Right. Absolutely. And there you have it, just a small sample of what empowering you and the direction we're going in with it, just highlighting local nonprofits, bringing up information about these nonprofits and the services that they provide that you may have never known about. 
even though they've been around for a while. We also encourage the smaller nonprofits, the grassroots nonprofits. This is your marketing tool as well, and it's absolutely free. This is part of our public affairs programming, which is designed to get information into the community. Take advantage of it. Please take advantage of it. Divine Nine, uh, nonprofit organizations, uh, businesses that have community initiatives, you as well. As long as it benefits the citizens of the triad, you can come on this show and utilize this program as your marketing tool. That's our mission, to find as many local nonprofits and community initiatives that people don't typically have an opportunity to come across and make sure that you're aware of it. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers, definitely. If you're participating in your child's life, you should be. It's a big part of the family structure around in our community, and our kids need their fathers. Believe me. Believe me. And thank you for listening to Empowering You. I'm Brian Anthony.